big welcome in everybody to another edition of Riding the 3x3 with your host, yours truly, your producer as well, Russ Heltman. Big, big show on deck this evening. Got three big topics and then a guaranteed ride-sharing story at the end of tonight's episode to go along with the first topic that I'm going to touch on today, which is going to be the NBA controversy, the backlash, all of the of the, of the junk, the mess going on over in China with the players in Shanghai, maybe or maybe not getting ready to tip off a uh, a preseason game on in mainland China this week, heading into the weekend. And then topic number two, we're going to give three picks against the spread for the three biggest, the three biggest in my opinion at least, college football games this weekend. Massive slate on hand as we're getting past, uh, we're, we're hitting the Mendoza line, the uh, the halfway point meridian in the college football season. And then topic number three, two weeks away, everybody. We're just two weeks away from the best sport tipping back off. Fully loaded, wide open championship race in the upcoming NBA season. And I'm going to give three players that I think could really swing the dynamics in the National Basketball Association this year if they can meet their true potential. All three of those topics plus a ride-sharing story coming up. But first, I want to make sure everybody is hitting that subscribe button, giving us five stars. You can find us on Google Play, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to the beautiful medium known as podcasts. Go ahead and subscribe to Riding the 3 by 3 Let's get into it. Topic number one. So I've been doing a lot of research on this issue really since Saturday when when it started to pick up steam, of course, to, to preface everything and make sure everybody's caught up to speed. Daryl Morey, general manager of the Houston Rockets, probably the most uh, forward-facing, so to say, GM in maybe all of sports, you could say, with how he has just spearheaded the analytics movement throughout the NBA, really been the face of all of those GMs and front office executives that have really, really transformed how the game of basketball is played with all the three-point shots, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, he tweets out literally seven words have sparked a basically geopolitical economic nightmare between the National Basketball Association and China. Those seven words, fight for freedom, stand with Hong Kong. And for everybody thinking, well, what's going on with Hong Kong? Are they being invaded by China? What's going on? What's the deal? What what's what's the backstory to all this? Why would China as a nation be upset about this? Well I, I encourage everybody go to uh Vox.com. They have a great YouTube channel and they have an awesome uh country to country basically video series that they do a season on each country and one of the places that they went to was Hong Kong. And the, the entire show, all the episodes on that particular season do a great job of kind of framing what makes Hong Kong so much different in terms of culture, in terms of politics, and so on with mainland China itself. Essentially, Hong Kong is a, it's essentially a one country, two system type of deal dating back to the opium wars between the Chinese and uh, and in Great Britain, Hong Kong ended up becoming one of the provinces or territories involved with Great Britain's uh, empire all the way up until 1999, when it was therefore agreed upon that Hong Kong would be governed under its own guise for a particular amount of a period of time. Anyway, 
what has happened over the past few months in the nation state of Hong Kong is a bevy of protests have gone on involving a Taiwanese gentleman who was accused of murder in his own country. He comes to Hong Kong seeking refuge, and it just ended up opening up a whole can of worms between China and Hong Kong itself. It was basically all sparked by the proposed extradition of that murder suspect, and it would have allowed suspects in general just residing in Hong Kong to be sent across the border to mainland China to face trial. And that's a big reason why activists across the, the nation state of Hong Kong are rebelling, so to say, or, or making their voice, not rebelling, making their voices heard in a way to show that they're not for this. They don't want to be a part of this. They don't want this proposed law to be enacted. Anyway, Daryl Morey tweets out, supports his support of Hong Kong, quote unquote, supporting freedom in the tweet that he sent out. And it did not make the Chinese government very happy at all. Basically, the, the last thing that, that you want to do if you're a member of an NBA franchise or a higher-up executive in the National Basketball Association is anger the Chinese government. Big reason why is, yeah, there might be you know, 330, 350 million-plus people in the United States, big country, top five, top ten nation in the world in terms of population size. There are 300 million people alone in China that are just strictly basketball fans. Throw out the fact that you can times that number by about five, and that'll give you the exact population of mainland China. So it's a massive, massive economic opportunity in front of the National Basketball Association. They just allowed Joseph Tsai to become full majority owner of the New Jersey, or excuse me, of the Brooklyn Nets. The Nets are a team along with the Los Angeles Lakers over in Shanghai right now. Two teams in limbo because the Chinese government has essentially blocked off all ties to the NBA games going on in China. They take down, they took down a bunch of banners out throughout, put up throughout the city of Shanghai just a couple weeks ago. They did that today. There was an NBA Cares event uh, put on to support uh, children with special needs. In China, that was canceled today. A practice facility previously scheduled to be used by the Los Angeles Lakers was all of a sudden not available, quote-unquote, and the Lakers couldn't practice today. They still don't know whether or not, and this is being recorded right around 11 p.m. Eastern on Wednesday, October 9th, whether or not the games this weekend, Thursday and Saturday, involving the Nets and the Lakers will be played. And in, on top of that, this is a this is a excursion that is usually met by thousands of thousands of joyous fans. When these players get off the planes, when they exit the hotels to go to the, the vehicles to get to practice, to get to the games, they're met by thousands of screaming fans. Not this time. Thousands, more like dozens of fans met these players when they arrived just over the past couple of days. And when NBA cameras were facing those fans, they basically were quick, quick as all be to bring up their hands to their face and cover them up to not be associated, so to say, with the National Basketball Association. And so because the NBA has not handled this as smoothly as they have been known to in the past, this is really Adam Silver's first real black mark, you could say, on his on his tenure as commissioner, just in the way that he has kind of been 
not reticent, but not quick enough to address the situation. They didn't come out with a full statement until Sunday, Monday morning. And, and the tweet happened on Friday. They were just a little too slow to react. And so now everything is catching up in the meantime. And they're kind of at an impasse because all of this happens. Daryl Morey sends out this tweet four days before the entire the entirety of the Nets team and the Lakers team, along with a lot of high-ranking executives in the NBA, make their way over to China for the annual preseason games that they have there every single year. So it's a giant convoluted mess. You basically have the entity of the Chinese government pitted against the entity known as the National Basketball Association, and then you get criticism from all sides. You got people saying the NBA isn't taking a hard enough stance against Chinese authoritarianism. They're not doing enough. They're not coming out and saying we don't support the injustices going on inside the borders of mainland China. And then on the flip side, you got other people saying that Daryl Morey should have just stayed in his lane. He shouldn't have tweeted out anything. He should have just not said anything, let it be, and done what he could outside of social media. Maybe try and donate to a group that supports the Hong Kong protesters financially. I don't know. He could have done something different, though. And that's that's the biggest point I come to with all this. And now it's completely blown up. You got President Trump tweeting that Steve Kerr, Greg Popovich, they were so so quick to judge the United States of America and their 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 shortcomings and not judge the authoritarian Chinese government in the way that he, that Americans would probably like to see fit. But with me and this whole situation, if I were the NBA, I'd be yanking everybody out of China immediately. I would have had them on a plane home on Tuesday, let alone still be contemplating playing this these games on the Thursday when you could have protests all over the place. You could have militarized guards posted up all over at the entrances. They are this state TV network for China already said they're not going to be showing these games on television. And so I would have already pulled out the players. I would have gotten them out of there. I would have brought them all everybody back, not kept showing the background of Shanghai on the jump on ESPN, not let this story keep dragging out in China Throughout this week, you bring everybody back, you see if it settles down a little bit, you see what kind of conversations and lines of communication you can keep open with the Chinese government. But the bottom line is, Daryl Morey, if he doesn't tweet that out, this isn't an issue. It's not an issue at all. And it's sad to say because, yeah, the people seeking freedom and fighting for their freedom and fighting for justice in on mainland uh, Hong Kong, on that island deserve to have their voices heard and deserve to have that situation get public recognition. But that is not the forum to do it in, if you're Daryl Morey, or really anybody for that matter. No one has changed or affected the world in a massively permanent, positive manner by tweeting out seven words on Twitter. It just hasn't happened. It hasn't happened. If you're Daryl Morey, you got to have better judgment than that. And and for people, and I heard this argument today, because people are saying, well, the the NBA is being so hypocritical with their dealing with this situation, because look at what they did in 2017 with the bathroom bill in North Carolina, and they were immediately quick to pull the All-Star game out of Charlotte and make sure that they weren't associated with that kind of quote-unquote social injustice. But the difference between that situation and the situation currently happening on TV 
each and every day in the streets in Shanghai and also on the, in the streets with the protesters in Hong Kong is the fact that North Carolina is a state with, I would say, maybe at most one to two million basketball fans, maybe three million basketball fans out of 10 million people that currently reside in that state. So you're going to be a lot less, uh, a lot less pained, so to say, in your bottom line by angering some of the people in that confined area. This is China we're talking about. This is over 1.3 billion people, 300 million fans of the game of basketball, fans of LeBron James, James Harden, Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, Gordon Hayward, the last two I mentioned, have actual shoe deals with a company in China named Anza. So there is so much more to lose. There's so much more at stake for the future of this organization, the National Basketball Association, the future of basketball in China, and just the future of the growth of the game. The NBA is is a league that wants to eventually become the most popular sports entity in America with with the way football has gone with the concussions, the CTE, it's not going to happen quickly, but there is a chance, there is an opportunity for the NBA to make inroads across the world in a way that football hasn't and be able to eclipse the NFL one day in America and in the world at large. And so that's why it's such a shaky, touchy, rough subject that I myself am having trouble Finding finding a lane to file in on because in on one one hand I completely support what Daryl Morey did I completely support him going against an authoritarian regime and speaking his voice and using whatever medium is at his disposal to use that voice but on the other hand I can see where the the thought process of doing that is completely flawed especially through a medium known known to spark as much outrage as Twitter does I mean geez. And also the fact that it's it's just a lot of money and time and effort that has gone into building these inroads within the country of China. They're building the inroads, I might add, with the people of China as well. There is obviously dealings with the government. They have to have everything sanctioned. They have to, obviously, when they're in China, they have to adhere to the government's policies and all that stuff. But the biggest thing that they want to do is they want the people of China to continue being NBA fans. And that's and that's just another reason why this is such a convoluted, confusing, just mess. It's an absolute mess. And it was started by a guy probably sitting in his basement. I don't know where Daryl Morey was when he sent out this tweet, but just seven words have sent the entire relationship between the NBA and the country of China, a, a country that has the most basketball fans residing within it out of any nation in the world, into a massive tailspin, all because of seven words from Daryl Morey. All right, topic number two, quick college football break before we dive back into the NBA. I give my three most crucial names to the NBA playoff race this season. We got to talk about college football. We're getting into week number, it's going to be week seven, I believe, halfway through the season. It's flying by, unbelievable. This might be, though, the best slate of games we have had in college football this season. Multiple 
ranked matchups on deck. The three I'm going to look at, Penn State versus Iowa, Oklahoma versus Texas, Florida versus LSU. What else we got on here? We got Alabama taking on number 24, Texas A&M. We got Georgia taking on South Carolina. That should be a good matchup as well. And we also have Hawaii taking on Boise State. Those two teams that combined 9-1 and one out in the Mountain West. Boise State gone off to a nice start, 6-0 and behind the freshman quarterback, Hank Bachmeyer. But the, the games I'm going to focus on will go in order of kickoff on Saturday. Penn State, Iowa, Oklahoma, Texas, and the big matchup down there in Death Valley, baby. Ed O versus Dan Mullen. Joe Burrow, the high-flying LSU Tigers versus Kyle Trask and the upstart Florida Gators. All three of those matchups, massive, massive implications across the board when it comes to college football playoff shuffling for position. And we'll start with Penn State versus Iowa. The Nittany Lions, headed up by Sean Clifford, 12 touchdowns, two interceptions on the year, 1,400 yards, has done a great, great job taking over for Trace McSorley this season. Matchup predictor on ESPN has Penn State as a 67% favorite, and they are three-and-a-half-point favorites to win the game outright on the road in Iowa City. This one is tough because everything screams Penn State here. Everything does. The points, you'd think it'd be more like a touchdown. Iowa coming off of a just pitiful showing against Michigan. Watching that game was like watching watching my dad cut grass. 10-3 loss. Nate Stanley had pressure in his face all afternoon long through his first three interceptions of the season last week against the Wolverines. And they just looked terrible. They just looked awful. But they're back home. They're at Kinnick Stadium. They're going to have a fully loaded atmosphere. Because this is basically their season on the line right here essentially you got to win this game you cannot afford two conference losses this early in the season so i'm going to take penn state yep that's what i'm going to do i'm just going to hold my nose take penn state they have too much offensive firepower they're too talented across the board and i just anytime you can give me 3 3 and a half points with how much talent this team has going to iowa a team that just showed nothing offensively last week I got to take Penn State. 3-2 and two on the year against the spread. I think they get the 4-2, and two, and they take take pretty good care of the Iowa Hawkeyes. Next game, 12 p.m. kickoff, Oklahoma versus Texas. Number six Sooners versus the number 11 ranked Texas Longhorns. 79.8% matchup predictor favorites are the Oklahoma Sooners. An astounding 11-point favorites on the road. It's technically not really on the road. It's in the Cotton Bowl. But on the road against Texas. Whoo, boy. What are the bookmakers thinking here? Give me the Longhorns all day. Sam Ellinger and Tom Herman. They're going to have a great game plan. They're going to keep the ball on the ground. I could I, I fully expect Ellinger to carry the ball 12 seven to 17 times in this game. Maybe upwards of 20 because they're going to want to keep the ball away from Jalen Hurts. Keep it away from that Oklahoma Sooner offense. Yes, Oklahoma has been better this year in terms of their defense. Only allowing 19 points per game. 346 yards overall. A much better showing in 2019 on defense than in 2018. But Texas has covered six straight against Oklahoma. And they've won three times out of those six straight covers as an underdog. It's 11 points. You can't tell me 
this game's not going to be within a touchdown late in late in the hours, late in the afternoon at 3:15. You can't tell me this game's going to be with not going to be within a touchdown with one of these teams having a shot to win it down the stretch. So give me the 11 points, take it all day, and. Honestly, I like the Longhorns to pull off a little bit of an upset. I predicted that in my preseason college football playoff predictions. I had Texas taking out Oklahoma, and I'm going to take the dogs right now outright. Give me Texas to cover the 11 and beat Oklahoma in the Red River rivalry. One of two matchups, because I can guarantee these two teams are going to be facing off in the Big 12 title game. The nightcap, the one I'm going to be fully locked in on. I cannot wait for this matchup. To SEC Blue Bloods, West vs. East, number 7 Florida going on the road to the scary, haunted hallows of Death Valley in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Taking on Joe Burrow and the number 5 LSU Tigers. Burrow has been unbelievable this year. 1,864 yards, 22 tutties to 3 interceptions through the air. This team is giving up 50, excuse me, this team is scoring. 54.6 points per game. And the Florida Gators, I think, have only allowed 57 overall points this season. Doesn't matter, though, in the eyes of the bookmakers. They're 13-point dogs on the road. They're coming off of that emotional, kind of down-to-the-wire slugfest with Bo Nix and the Auburn Tigers. They made the freshman, well, look like a guy who was starting his fifth college game. (sighs) LSU. Give it to me all day. Give me the Tigers. This is going to be the premier. We're here. We're ready to crash the foot college football playoff predictions from the preseason Tigers showdown. They make it all. They, they bring it all to the table. This is a game where Joe Burrow comes to life. This is a matchup he loves. He lives for the big moment. He's loved it since he was in Athens. He would have relished it at Ohio State, and he's going to relish this matchup on Saturday night against the Florida Gators. 13 and a half points. It could have been it probably could have been 17 and I would still take LSU. And here's a nice little nugget. This courtesy of Chris the Bear Felica over there at ESPN. Florida was a home underdog last week. A home underdog ranked team. They beat a favored ranked team coming into their building. Teams that were underdogs the previous week and won and then have to go on the road as an underdog once again the following week are 1-11 in their past 12 outings against the spread. So what does that mean? It means unless you got some of that 2014 Ole Miss magic in you with Bo Wallace and company lighting the the fire and and getting the job done against Alabama one week and then Texas A&M the next, probably the greatest two-week stretch in the modern era for – Rebel football, I know my mom would say that, Ole Miss grad in the early 80s there, then you're not going to get the job done if you're the Florida Gators. If you don't have that kind of magic, it's it's going to be one for 13. It's going to move one, one tick up, and that's exactly what I expect to happen. Give me the LSU Tigers over the Florida Gators. So we got LSU minus 13, Texas plus 10.5, excuse me, plus 11, plus 10.5, where it's, it's wavering between those two numbers, and winning outright. And then Penn State covering the three to three and a half points wherever you can get it over the Iowa Hawkeyes. All right, third and final topic on this evening's riding, the three by three. It's got to do with another trio of interesting characters 
this time in the National Basketball Association. We're actually going to talk about basketball on this segment. Three guys that I think could really end up swinging the dynamics, the power fulcrum of the playoff race in the National Basketball Association. We'll start with the Philadelphia 76ers and rookie guard Matisse Thibel. Six foot five, dude averaged three and a half steals per game last year and 2.3 blocks as a member of the Washington Huskies. He was a two-time Pac-12 defensive player of the year. This guy has all the chops you could ever want on an all, of an on-ball defender going into the next level. Only real question mark on that side of the ball was the fact that Washington did play a zone-heavy scheme, so he was never really asked to consistently play man-to-man, shut-down basketball with the Huskies. But everything on film and everything in, in the statistics will tell you that he can do that. The dude averaged 2.3 blocks, 2.9 per 40 minutes as a six foot five guard. That's just, that's special. That's special defensive talent, a special defensive motor. And if he can bring that to this Philadelphia team that already seems absolutely loaded, loaded in the starting five. Just think about what they're going to start with Thibel out, out of the equation. Ben Simmons, Josh Richardson, Tobias Harris at the three, Al Horford, excuse me, and Joel Embiid. Richardson would be the shortest player in that starting five by about three inches. And the dude's like 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, feet tall. Ben Simmons, 6'10", Al Horford, 6'11", Joel Embiid, 7'1", 7'2", and then Tobias Harris at 6'9". Now, if you replace Horford, who's getting a little up there in age, might not be... Who knows what their crunch time five is going to look like by the by the time the playoffs come around with Thibel and let him take take on the premier ball handler go to scoring option on the other side, whether it be a Kyrie Irving in Brooklyn or a Chris Middleton type wing in uh, in Milwaukee. That's a lot of versatility, especially on the defensive end, which is so important in the playoffs with how the game slows down and becomes a lot more one-on-one dependent for this 76ers team. Preseason debut last night on uh, on Tuesday, October the 8th. 10 points, 50% from, the, from, from, uh, from beyond the arc, 50% from three. Had three steals, two blocks. If that's what he puts up every single night and is your go-to option as a sixth man off the bench, that's going to put him in sixth man of the year conversations. That's going to really round out a second unit that needs a spark, that needs to take the top-heavy starting five-heavy label off of this 76ers roster. So I think he is a massive, massive fulcrum point for this Philadelphia 76ers team. If he hits and hits well and plays good basketball this year, they could definitely find themselves as champions of the Eastern Conference. All right, player number two, we'll, we'll go out west and we'll go to the Rocky Mountains. Michael Porter Jr. Playing his first competitive basketball game yesterday after about a 550-day layoff. 571 days since Michael Porter Jr. played a game of basketball. Four for seven in 17 minutes. Scored nine points. Looks like he's a little, a little, it was a little shaky last night. It was a little rusty. All, all to be expected, obviously, if you haven't played in almost 600 days. But Michael Porter Jr., six foot ten, can hit almost any shot on the floor. Was the unequivocal number one prospect in the country going into his freshman season. At Missouri in 2017, went there to meet to 
join up with his uh, his brother Jonte. They were going to run the Big Ten, or excuse me, in the Big 12. They are going to run everybody out of the gym. They are going to make it to the Final Four, bring Missouri to heights that they've never seen as a basketball program. Two games in, he uh, he injures his back and then subsequently plays well, not even two games. It was a few minutes into the game. His opening game with Missouri injures his back, only plays a few games that year, ends up having that back surgery after he fell in the draft to number 14, 14th pick by the Denver Nuggets last year. And it could end up that the Denver Nuggets, after losing that play-in game to the Minnesota Timberwolves to miss out on the AC two years ago, could end up being the biggest blessing in disguise that franchise has ever seen because it allowed them to select a player with number one pick type of talent, superstar potential, at the last pick of the lottery in the 2018 draft. I don't know if Michael Porter Jr. is going to play a meaningful role this year. I don't know what athleticism, what he has left in that body. But if he can give them 14, 15 points a game and 25, 27 minutes a night once he really peaks in the physical form, then this Denver Denver Nuggets team will probably go into the playoffs as the favorite to come out of the West. All they lacked last year, they had Jokic making plays from the elbow, making plays all over the floor, becoming the greatest big man distributor in the history of the league. They had Jamal Murray, the microwave, the Canadian cooker, the the three-point savant. They had the depth, Gary Harris, Malik Beasley, Plumley, Paul Millsap, on and on and on. But what they didn't have, and what honestly a lot, it's hard to find this in the NBA, a lot of teams don't have, is a go-to perimeter wing scorer who can get you a bucket when the game has stalled and everything is on the line. Michael Porter Jr., I don't think they should expect that of him. Obviously, I don't think that coming off of a 571-day layoff. But if he continues to round in the form, knock on wood, stays healthy this season, I really hope he does. I really want to watch him play and really rounds in the form come April, he could end up swinging the entire balance of power in the NBA playoffs. All right, last topic. Last, no, not last player. Not last topic, obviously. Well, it, actually, it is last topic. It's last of both. Markel Fultz on what could be his last shot in the National Basketball Association. It seems like he might be back. I don't know. I don't, I don't want to jump to conclusions too quickly, but the guy has looked very, very solid in his first couple outings in the preseason. I liked what he's shown. He's hitting the three ball. The, the shot form looks a lot better. The hitch is seemingly gone. I don't know how it got there in the first place, but two years later, it's finally gone, and he's making plays off the dribble. The bottom line is, this is an Orlando Magic team that basically ran it all the way back. They brought back their main contributors from last year. They re-signed Nikola Vucevic. They, they essentially are banking on him and Aaron Gordon, along with Jonathan Isaac, to kind of spearhead this team into the next era. But they don't have a point guard. And that's the reason why they took a shot on Markel Fultz last year. Their go-to option right now at point guard, their starter is going to be DJ Augustine, who's 31 years old and has really hit his ceiling. He's, he's never going to be a consistent top 15, top 20 guy at that position in a starter's role. And then Michael Carter-Williams, the former Rookie of the Year, who has 
bounced around the league the last couple of years and has come really close to washing out of it entirely. So Markel Fultz, if he can become a starting point guard, play 30, 33 minutes a game, and, and be the guy that was chosen with the number one pick by the Philadelphia 76ers, if we get University of Washington, this is another Husky, just talked about Thibel, uh in, in, in the beginning of this segment, then Orlando could be a three, four seed and really shake things up in the dynamic of power in the Eastern Conference. It all remains to be seen how for real this renaissance for Marco Fultz is, but man, I really hope it is legit. All right, ride-sharing story to round out the week. Let's see, which one do I want to give? We'll go ahead. So we'll do, okay, so I was driving this lady down. It's uh, called Detroit Avenue. It's like one of the main roads cutting through the city in Toledo. And there is this just person walking in the street, middle of the street, about 200 yards ahead of me. I get closer, 100 yards away, start giving little horn beeps. They don't move. Get about 50 yards away. I'm blaring my horn at this point. They still don't move. So I have to swerve around them, make sure I don't hit anybody else in the left lane. Whatever. I go about my business, take a right turn, go on down, drop the person off at their stop. I come back. The same exact way. I'm going past the same intersection where I found that where I saw this person, and I'm getting closer to the light, and I see just police lights all over this intersection, and cars with their hazards put on and all parked in the middle of the street. And I drive by, and it's the same person. It it was dark outside. I think it was a lady, and she's just laying in the middle of the left turn lane just refusing to move and just yelling and like squirming around in circles. It was the most bizarre thing I've ever seen in my entire life sitting behind the wheel of a steering of a, of a car. And you guys know I've seen some bizarre things, especially since I started this little ride sharing adventure, but man, that was by far the most bizarre thing I had ever seen on a, uh, on a U.S. sanctioned roadway riding the three by three this week's episode That'll do it. I'm Russ Heltman. Thanks for tuning in. Once again, you can find us on iTunes, Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. I know I double dipped on the Apple iTunes, but subscribe wherever you find us. Give us five stars and we'll see you next time. Have a great weekend, everybody.